This morning I'm meeting with a friend of mine, Farouk Verji, uh, who is a very strong uh, Canadian and uh, believer in Canada, and uh, who uh, came to this country uh, how many years ago? When was it that you first came to Canada? I came in 73 from Uganda. Uh-huh. And uh, from Uganda, however, I guess there was a political situation in Uganda at the time that encouraged yeah. you to leave. Well, Idi Amin uh, sent the whole Asian community packing. Right. And those of us who were citizens of Uganda uh, became stateless. Mm -hmm. And Canada was one of the countries that extended its generosity uh, by welcoming, welcoming us. Were you then at that time, in fact, a refugee? Or what was your status at that time? Yeah, I was a stateless uh, person. And I came under the refugee program. I see. And uh, uh, you were not a you were a citizen of Uganda, or I was a citizen. You of was Uganda. a citizen of Uganda, but your family had originated. My forefathers uh, left India uh, around 1876. Oh, I see. And they migrated to what was in those days known as British East Africa, mm -hmm. which was uh, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, who and those three countries eventually evolved into separate nation states, and. Uh, uh, we were we were in Uganda and we became Ugandan nationals. And uh, you arrived then in 1973. You said in Montreal. Actually, I well, we landed. Our first stop was Halifax, mm -hmm. and uh, the airport in Halifax is quite a ways out of town and uh, looked very barren and desolate. And the passenger next door to me said, "Now you know why Canada has accepted you." <laughs> and that's where we got our landed status, and then we flew on to Montreal. And what, what sorts of occupations or, or fields of endeavor have you been involved in since 1973? Well, I'm a lawyer by training uh, from the UK and just came to Vancouver. I worked as a lawyer's clerk, if you will, or I was given the designation legal assistant. But uh, I was basically, basically doing minimal legal work, assisting uh, other lawyers. And did you stay in the, in the legal field? I didn't because I had to go back to law school to requalify, which would have been a four-year undertaking, uh, very costly time-wise and money-wise, and I didn't have the financial resources to become a full-time student uh, for four years. So Th This is quite a common problem, is it not, with it is. recent immigrants? What, what is a solution to this problem? Is it that the Canadian professions are too protective? Is it uh, a genuine concern about maintaining the standards? Uh, is it uh, How do we resolve this problem? Let me tell you how we resolve it. Uh, I guess, uh, number one, I was a, a lawyer trained in the UK, so it's uh, the English common law system, very similar to the Canadian system. And, you know, we always talk about union bashing, and the unions are this and the unions are that. Well, the lawyers' union is one of the most powerful unions in this country. And we all know the profession is... Uh, overcrowded and uh, this country really doesn't need more lawyers <laughs> and uh, and the profession really doesn't want to dilute uh, its uh, work by accepting more and more foreign lawyers so there are some hurdles to be cleared but um, as it happened I decided to uh, go into commercial real estate as a career and so it was a, a switch and on the whole I think it's been a positive switch my father was a lawyer for 30 years and he never really wanted me to practice law, so I guess his wish was fulfilled. How did you find, uh, what was your experience like in the, in the field of commercial real estate? It was very difficult because um, I had this uh, lawyer's attitude of protecting my client. 
Well, I usually ended up representing buyers and my commission was being paid uh, by the seller. So really, it was the seller who was my client and not the buyer. So it was a very difficult adjustment. Uh, uh, instead of conducting myself strictly as a professional, I had to become a salesperson. And uh, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a huge shift mm -hmm. and not an easy one. But uh, over the years, uh, I've learned to understand that you really have to try and balance both parties' interests to be able to act as an effective middleman uh, to earn a commission. And uh, did you operate in, in British Columbia only, or uh, what was your... Rating? Initially, I operated um, in British Columbia, and uh, then I looked further east towards uh, Ontario, because there were opportunities in Ontario. And, and subsequently, I even went to the States, uh, because there was a big movement of people looking for business opportunities in the United States. So I went down to Texas and California. I suppose it was part of my education. Uh, no doubt. Uh, I would imagine that a very uh, good command of English is a precondition for a business uh, such as commercial real estate. I think it's, it, it's so vitally important and in, in my case um, when I was about seven or eight my father insisted uh, that I spoke to him in English because he felt uh, that language is such a powerful tool. It's much more important than having an academic qualification because if you cannot communicate you cannot conduct business, you cannot build social relations, uh, you cannot be part of the big society and the big picture that everybody wants to be. Mm -hmm. So whilst I would converse with my mother in my mother tongue, my father insisted that I had to speak to him in, in English. And my school holidays were very trying because every day at the breakfast table my father would give me ten words that I have to look up in the dictionary and construct a sentence uh, which, uh, which, which, which gave a different meaning to the word. But at the end of the day, um, I ended up uh, achieving a very good command of the English language. And uh, if I may quote Sir Winston Churchill, uh, he wasn't a very bright student. He actually failed Latin and he was confined to uh, becoming a good student of English. And, you know, today he's regarded as probably somebody who was able to write the best English in the simplest of words, right, and to be a great communicator of the, of the English language. Mm -hmm. And speaking of English, and respect, I respect all other languages, and I do speak other languages like French and German, today English is such an important language that uh, it's a passport to 90% of the, of the world business community. Mm -hmm. So it's the language of business, it's the language of commerce, uh, it's a language that allows you uh, to be independent. It's, a, it's an interesting word, passport, because it really does enable you to go anywhere, anywhere. in the world. Anywhere. Uh, but it, similarly, in Canada, I, I think uh, even for someone who, who wasn't born in this country, yes. if you can speak English uh, comfortably, yes. you can go to any little village, any town, anywhere, in the uh, world. And people, well, no, but even I'd say even, even within in Canada, Canada, I think uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, recent immigrants who tend sometimes to concentrate in certain areas in yeah. certain big cities yeah. might feel a bit of a reluctance to go to some of the smaller communities yeah. in the hinterland where there aren't so many of the yes. people of their origin. That's right. But I, 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 certainly everyone that I've spoken to who has gone to those smaller communities finds that there's a, as long as you can communicate, there is no problem. And Not only no problem, but uh, I know from the history of my, the settlement of my own community, which is the Ismaili Muslim community, that the people who left the major urban centers and went into smaller towns and communities 
prospered, uh, the opportunities were greater, and they actually found greater acceptance in smaller co communities because smaller communities tend to be more welcoming mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and there's less competition right. compared to big cities. And a lot of new immigrants do not have the sophistication to compete with people who've been around much longer. Mm -hmm. And I think the smaller communities often are more welcoming and care more about the yeah. members of that community, yes. whereas in a big city nobody really cares that much about their neighbor. That and I think the family unit is probably stronger in the, in the rural communities as opposed to big cities. Mm -hmm. you know, people have more time for each other, uh, people give out a helping hand, you know. But you have to become part of the community. You cannot right. live in your own little world. That's so important. Now, as someone who, uh, since coming to Canada, has placed a lot of importance on being part of the community, yes. like you have, yes. uh, how did the, and being a Muslim, yes. how did the events of September the 11th and some of the reaction and fallout from that affect you? Well, it's very interesting because, uh, as you know, um, I would think majority of the Muslims were extremely troubled uh, by what happened. Uh, we do not believe it was uh, a reflection of, of the faith, but uh, the fact of the matter is uh, the terrorists were from uh, the Muslim part of the world, and um, we hear about clash of civilizations, etc. But what helped us immensely is that because I was very much involved as part of the big community, I had so many people who reached out to me and, and said, Farooq, uh, we are sorry what has happened. Is there anything we can do? Is there any way we can help? And at, in fact, at our house of worship in North Vancouver, uh, three ladies actually showed up one day with uh, a bouquet of flowers. I wasn't there, of course, but the lay minister told me to extend uh, uh, a gesture of goodwill towards us and say, we recognize that you're a peaceful religious community and, uh, and we from another faith community we just want to acknowledge this fact by bring a little bouquet of flowers mm. and I don't think they would have done that unless uh, there was a genuine and sincere effort to reach out and become part and parcel of the community. Do you think that the Muslim community, I mean even before September 11th, was, was not sufficiently well understood and how does one... Okay, how does one... Uh, how does one deal with that? I mean, undoubtedly, there's a longer history of, of Christianity, of of, yes. uh, of of the Jewish religion, yes. and so forth, in this civilization, yes. or this, in this yes. country. Yes. How does one bridge that? How do people become more familiar with, with you know, the Muslim I, faith? I, I believe in, in, in one thing, that the only way people can understand your faith or your culture is if you reach, if you reach out as a newcomer and, and, uh, and get involved. And I think one of the easiest ways to get involved is by becoming a volunteer in a community-based organization. In a community-based organization. Because as a volunteer, uh, th there's no uh, financial interest involved, there's no political interest involved, but you're meeting people, you're communicating with them, you're interacting with them, and only, and that's the only way they can find out what your, your, your faith or what your culture or what your value systems represent. And you will find that most cultures uh, uh, put forward uh, very positive ideals for coexistence and respect for the environment, respect for diversity. You know, it's interesting, the, the image of, of uh, Islam that's presented, of course, 
recently. Yeah. It, it, it seems to emphasize this sort of, I think they're called Wahhabi. Yes, Wahhabi. The extremists. Yeah. Uh, and that seems to be the only image that's put forward. And all we ever see on the screen is that. Yeah. And of course, I, I know because I'm interested in history. Yes. The, the period of, in a sense, the renaissance of, of, of Muslim uh, civilization from, yes. I guess, the 8th to the 14th or 15th century. Yes. And, but we don't see very much of that. There's very little representation of that on television or, or elsewhere. Some of the philosophers being uh, doctors yeah. and... and uh, well, there's a reason for that, and I think uh, the reason for it is that uh, the majority of the Muslim um, uh, faith community is a silent majority. Uh, they live in the rural areas uh, of their respective countries. Uh, they have very little f uh, voice uh, in, the, in their choice of government. So the governments do not really represent the people. Uh, we take democracy for granted here. We take elections for granted here. But uh, I do not believe uh, there is one or more, or, or at least a very few Muslim countries which you can say are democratic in the Western sense. Mm -hmm. You've got despotic governments, you've got uh, monarchies, you've got dictatorships. And these people are supposedly speaking for their people, but they have no mandate from the people. And you have the unholy trinity of ignorance, uh, poverty and disease. And you have a total waste of uh, the oil wealth. And most regrettably, um, Islam in the Western world is only seen through the prism of the Arab-Israeli conflict, which is not a religious conflict. It is a conflict involving land. And uh, in the context of British Columbia, I say to most of my friends, as if you can imagine, the native Indian people are saying, this is our land. And we are saying, yes, it is your land, but we are now here. And we have to work out a, a, a reasonable coexistence. Right. And I personally have been to Israel, and I've seen uh, what a remarkable country it is. Uh, and I said to myself, the whole of the Middle East could be so remarkable when you look at the tremendous resources of man and, and financial, uh, manpower and financial resources that are available there. And uh, the reality is that the Jewish people have always had an existence uh, in Israel. Uh, I mean, they're the oldest monotheistic tradition. Right. And Christians uh, are monotheistic, and by which I mean worship of one God, and so are Muslims. So we are really part of the Judeo-Christian Muslim tradition. Right. But in the Western world, Islam really stopped at the gates of Vienna uh, right. when, 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 when the Muslims invaded Europe. Right. And that's where the demarcation has, has been formed. But you know, it's interesting. In a sense, some of those rivalries that, uh, that go back to the medieval period, yes. I mean, that was a different world then. That's right. And uh, there's also a very strong demarcation between uh, Eastern Christianity, Orthodox oh, yes. Christianity, and, oh, yes. and Western yes. Christianity, things that mean much, much less to us today. That's right. And I think the, the, the concern is that we take some of these almost medieval rivalries and yes. bring them into a modern yes. context. And I think to the extent that the uh, the sort of Islam versus Christianity or Islam versus the West conflict is an ideological one, then it's almost medieval. Yeah. And I agree with you that uh, that some of those countries, their problem is not that they're Muslim. The problem is that they're still... It's, it's not fair to say they're not backward, but they're operating in, in, a, in a, 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 a mode that is more akin 
to the medieval period than it is to well, today. Well, I think the tragedy of the Muslim world is uh, we claim that there is no distinction between um, uh, the faith and, and and your daily existence. That there's an integral approach, right? The faith should reverberate on your daily lives. So Islamic societies have tended not to be secular, but uh, the the state and the church, if you will, are one. Whereas uh, the Christian world decided at the time of the Reformation that that was not going to work, and the, the state has its place and the church has its place. And maybe in the Western world the secularization has gone too far, in, in, from my point of view, mm-hmm. because where do your children learn the ethics of society? I'm not saying you promote a particular religion, but you can't start learning the ethics uh, of a society uh, after you leave university. Mm-hmm. Ethics have to be taught at a very early stage. So in a sense, while the Western world has made uh, fantastic material progress, I think they've also lost something in the process, and which is the ethical values, uh, respect for humankind. But you know, it's interesting, uh, the, uh, in the Middle Ages, yeah. when, uh, which was the period when the West was presumably the most religious, Yes when uh, there was no separation between church and state prior to the Reformation. That did not necessarily correspond to peace. No. Uh, The King Richard the Lionheart, whatever, would be praying in his cathedral, and then he'd go out and he'd lay waste to the countryside of France and kill everybody he could see. So there, you know, like so much in life, I mean, there's all kinds of contradictions and so forth. But maybe we can close off... Uh, by looking at at Canada, and so we have all these different communities who might be religious communities or or communities of different uh, ethnic origins. We have a larger Canadian community. We have the local... How do all these different communities... How do we get a sense of of solidarity and and, uh, common common goals in Canada? Well, I think first and foremost is take pride in being Canadian. And when we first came, uh, Senator Ray Perot... um, gave us very good advice. He said, become unhyphenated Canadians. Now, I don't need to identify myself as a visible Canadian. Anybody who sees me sees I'm brown. I don't have to identify myself as a Muslim Canadian. A name like Farouk tells you I'm a Muslim. And what does it matter whether I'm brown or whether I'm Muslim? The important thing is that I'm an active citizen contributing to the welfare of my country for my sake, for my children's sake, and for everybody else's sake. And I think we as Canadians have a unique opportunity of uh, projecting ourselves to the world as a tolerant, peaceful, diverse society in which each one is able to pray to their own God, take pride in their ancestral values, and yet take greater pride in being Canadian. Because the first-generation immigrants obviously hark back to their motherland. But you have to think of your children as to how they will best fit into Canadian society. My forefathers left India over a hundred years ago. And my father never visited India in his lifetime. Uh, To me, Africa is still, when I refer to back home, I still think of Africa. And yet I'm not African by, by race. But certainly Africa has a certain warmth and nostalgia for me. But I made a very determined effort to be a good Canadian by getting involved in volunteer work, uh, getting involved in the political life of Canada, uh, being an active uh, community worker where I live, 
because where I live is my community. That's where th- these are who my neighbors are, mm-hmm. and my neighbors are part of my community, and my faith group is also part of my community, and my professional work, uh, my professional association is also part of my community. Right. But the most important thing is that I am Canadian, and for a couple of years when I first came, I had to travel around as a stateless person from uh, airport to airport, and I was always viewed with a great deal of suspicion. And when I finally got my Canadian citizenship, the thought that nobody can ever take it away from me, ever, 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 not only gave me pride, but so much peace and comfort. I mean, I was born in Uganda. My mother was born in Uganda. My father was a constitutional advisor to the first prime minister of Uganda and took part in the independence negotiations. And yet, by a stroke of a pen, we could all be stripped of our nationality. And what people don't realize is that once you have met the citizenship requirements, it is your right to become a Canadian citizen. In United States, it is still a privilege. It can mm-hmm. be deni- you can be denied citizenship. Right. But in Canada, as long as you have conducted yourself properly, mm-hmm. it is your right. How many countries offer new immigrants the right to become a citizen by spending a thousand days here? Right. But while it's a right, I think it's also a privilege, and it has a, a tremendous value. And I think you feel that, and, and I feel that. And well, I'm exceptionally um, uh, thankful, and I feel I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed uh, that uh, I came to Canada, and I'm a very, very proud Canadian. And, and I'm sure Canada is very lucky that you came, too. Well, uh, I hope so. I, I, I hope... Uh, but I, I owe more to Canada, and I will not be able to repay my debt to Canada, certainly in my lifetime. Well, I think the fact that you think that yeah. is uh, a statement of why Canada is lucky that you came here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.